Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one of the new man out of the two, thus making making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them, God through the cross by which he put death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I remember the very first time I saw a sign saying, trespassers will be prosecuted. I was too young young to understand what the words meant. I was on a walk with my mum and I had to ask her what the meaning of the sign was. And when she told me, I remember thinking, well, this is clearly a very important sign. Because if you step beyond that point, you're going to be in trouble. You could be taken to court and maybe even put in prison, or so I thought. And if the consequences of disobeying the sign were so severe, why did they have to use such complicated words to convey such an important meaning? I didn't know what trespassers were, and I didn't know what prosecuted meant either. Why not simply say, keep out, which a boy of my age would be able to read, understand, and obey quite easily. I was quite suspicious of the people who put up that sign that warned you in language you couldn't understand. Like they wanted you to go be at that, on that point. So they could catch you and say, ha, you're in trouble now for not obeying the law. Trespassing involves crossing a line. If you go beyond a sign saying trespassers will be prosecuted, you have entered private property without permission and you have broken the law. You have crossed a line. But there are other kinds of lines that you can cross. If you cross over the line between doing right and doing wrong, you become a trespasser. You are subject to the legal penalty. So the term trespasser isn't just someone who walks over a boundary that surrounds someone else's property. A trespasser is someone who crosses the line, who commits an offence. And the law, God's law, is there precisely so that trespassers can be prosecuted. That is the purpose of God's law. 
That's what God's law does. That's actually all that God's law can do. Is it enough? In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that the law, with its commandments and regulations, has been abolished by Jesus. That's truly radical. The law that sets out the difference between right and wrong, the law that divides the people on the right side from the people on the wrong side, it's gone. The law which sets out God's standards of behaviour. The law which warns us, cross this line and you are in trouble. The law that declares unambiguously, trespassers will be prosecuted. That law has been removed from the divine statute books by Jesus. No longer can people be divided into two camps. Those who've kept the law, who've stayed the right side of the sign and okay, who are considered to be good and righteous, and those who've broken the law, who are the trespassers, who will be prosecuted. That distinction has been made null and void. How come? What did Jesus do? What was he on about? need to take, take a step back in a sense and ask, well, what did the law do? Because when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he came under the curse of the law as a transgressor of the law. Though he was a righteous man, though he was a good man, though he'd done nothing wrong, he died the death of a common criminal, judged under the law, under the curse of the law of one who's hanged on a tree. It was a gross miscarriage of justice. And the implementation of the law on this occasion apparently got it completely wrong because instead of separating the good from the bad, instead of exonerating the righteous and condemning the wicked, those who upheld the law had used it to condemn, incriminate and execute the righteous Son of God. And the boundary between the trespassers and the good people had been breached. The law was condemning everybody without discrimination, even the Son of God. And on the face of it, the death of Jesus was a disaster. But on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. And he reversed the wrongful verdict of the law. But he didn't reinstate it so that it could continue its function of prosecuting trespassers. To all intents and purposes, within the, the mind of God, the law is now defunct. Because those who'd kept the law... He had ended up being on the wrong side of the line, separating good from evil. Those who'd kept the law were as guilty as those who'd broken it, who had never sought to keep it in the first place, because those who'd kept the law were guilty of putting God's Son to death. And God's Son, who'd done nothing wrong, had been condemned under the law. So, as the law served to condemn and curse Christ, serves to condemn and curse everybody, without exception. But that is not God's heart. God's final word is not simply trespassers will be prosecuted. Because God's heart was to enable people to live their lives well. God's heart was to enable people to live lives that were honouring God. And the law failed. But although law keepers and lawbreakers are all equally guilty before God. The good news is that all are equally reconciled to God through Jesus. 
whether we've done our best to keep the law, whether we've disregarded the law, whether we feel under condemnation or not, Jesus has acted as our representative. And in his death on the cross, he paid the ultimate penalty for our trespasses, our transgressions. Whatever it is that we have done wrong, at whatever point we've stepped beyond that side, at whatever point our motives and attitudes have been wrong, however hard we've tried to do what is right, whatever time with the best of intentions we've ended up being on the wrong side of God's purposes, all of that was loaded onto Jesus on the cross. And he unites us with himself in his death. And he unites us with himself in his resurrection. And in his resurrection, he brings us all, deserving and undeserving alike, into the presence of the living God. His blood has secured our atonement. The word literally means at one His blood has secured our at one with God. And whereas our sins, our trespasses, our transgressions came between us and God, cutting us off from him, making us subject to his judgment, Jesus took our sins upon himself, bore them on the cross, carried them with him to the grave, and rose again to say that all of us, without exception, whether we used to be close to God or whether we were a million miles away from him, all of us, can be at peace with God. All of us welcomed in his presence. All of us accepted. Sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. Impure lives made holy. Every single one of us with free, unrestricted access to God our Father through Jesus by the one Spirit. There is no sign at the door saying trespassers will be prosecuted. There is no sign at the door saying keep out, not welcome. The door is open and Jesus invites all of us in. All of us included. All of us welcomed within the family of God. Jesus represents us all. Jesus presents us to God. We are all citizens together of God's kingdom. We all belong. Through Jesus, we all have a right to live in God's presence. Citizenship, it's a live issue at the moment in this country. Becoming a citizen of the UK is a highly sought-after status. It brings with it the right to live permanently in the UK, free medical care, No restrictions on working in the UK or the EU. You get a British passport and the right to vote. No wonder it is highly sought after. But the process of becoming a British citizen is fraught with difficult and rigorous requirements. You need to have lived here for a certain period of time. You need to have a good knowledge of English, how life in the UK works. You need to be over 18. You need to have good character. And you need a pretty substantial sum of money in the bank and a substantial income every single year. It's not easy. Those engaged in the process of seeking British citizenship are frequently made to feel unwanted. Writer Kamili Shamsi from Pakistan records the problems of having her visa status removed, the required level of income increased, of being intimidated by vans commissioned by the Home Office that simply told people to go home. 
The clear message being sent out, though not always received, is that unless you are exceptional, we really don't want you here in the UK at all. But God, on the other hand, openly and gladly invites all comers to become citizens of his kingdom, even Australians, for goodness sake. No matter what their age, no matter what their nationality, no matter what their background, no matter what their character. The benefits of eternal life, unlimited access to God in prayer, the guarantee of God's presence, grace and strength on a daily basis, the presence of God living in your heart, enabling you to live a life that is honouring to God, not just a reluctant obedience to external commandments, but a wholehearted commitment to God and his ways based on his love for you and your love for him. A new identity as a member of his family, a place among the people who belong in his church, all freely available. The responsibilities, an oath of allegiance to Jesus as Lord, a commitment to love under, live under his direction, to love and have fellowship with other members of his family. Baptism is the rite of passage which declares you to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And in Brighton Road, at least church membership is one key way in which you can sign up to play an active part in the life and work of God's new society which is the church. And here in the church there are no first, second and third class citizens. We are all members of God's household together. And when we come together, we are the place where God chooses to make his home on earth. Not that a temple built of bricks and mortar, but among his people, those whom he is glad to welcome and acknowledge as his own, God says, this is where I choose to live. This is where I am at home. This is where I want to be. So if you are in Christ, you are not an outsider. You are not someone who does not belong. You are not the odd one out. You are welcome. You have a status as God's child. You have hope. You have God with you in the world. There are no outsiders in God's kingdom. No one is under probation. No one is turned away because they fail to meet the entry requirements. Because all those things that would have excluded us have been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. All you need to do is put your faith and trust in him as your saviour and your Lord. Because he took our place as the outcast so that in him we could be welcomed and accepted. So I wonder actually whether one day as one of our signs at the front of Brighton Road we could have a, a sign that says trespassers will be welcomed. Because that's the good news of Jesus, isn't it? Trespassers will be welcomed. The signs at the entrance to God's kingdom don't say private property, keep out. The doors are open. You are welcome. You know the boss. You know the host. Jesus looks at those who put their trust in him and says, they're mine. 
they belong here. The phrase, the church without walls, is one which has become increasingly popular since it was first coined, I think, by the Church of Scotland a number of years ago. But what a phrase it is, because walls are there to keep people out. Walls make that distinction between insiders and outsiders, between those who belong and those who don't. Yet Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the dividing wall of hostility being broken down and dismantled. There can never be any kind of distinction drawn between those who are good enough and those who aren't good enough. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus make such distinctions meaningless. There is no one who is not good enough to belong. Put your faith in Christ because he is good enough. And he has taken your sin. He has made you welcome. He gives you eternal life. He reconciles you to God. He includes you in his family. He wants you to know that you are welcomed, accepted, and that you belong. He makes you a citizen of his kingdom. Your part, your part is to believe that. To accept that all that is true and true for you. To put your trust in him. To accept him as your saviour and your lord. To enter his kingdom. To sign on the dotted line. To accept your new identity as a citizen of the kingdom and a child of God. Trespassers will be welcomed. Jesus welcomes you. God welcomes you. We welcome you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And all are welcome to this table. We don't fence the table. We don't say you need to belong in some kind of special way. Everyone is welcome to partake of the bread and the wine because everyone is someone for whom Christ died. Whatever our sin, our history, our background, our mistakes, Jesus has dealt with those. There is no one who is not good enough. There is no one who is not welcome. And if you know that you need forgiveness, if you know that you need the love of God, you know that you need eternal life, and you see those things offered to you in Jesus, take and accept them in faith. Take and receive the bread and wine, recognising that Christ gave his life for you. Christ gives his life to you. He welcomes you to this table. And sharing bread and wine together is a sign of the fellowship that we enjoy with one another and with God through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who makes us all welcome without distinction. We might not be able to understand it, People spend years studying this kind of stuff. But if you can accept it, it's true.